Hi, welcome to I Wanna Change the World. I'm your host, Janae Gilmore. That thought, I wanna change the world, has been a guiding force behind so many decisions in my career and in my life in general. But what does it actually look like for me, or anyone really, to change the world? On this podcast, you'll hear about my ongoing journey to figure out my place in creating a better world. As you listen, I invite you to reflect on yours. Let's get ready to change the world together. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And here we are at episode 19. So when I first started thinking about what I might want to talk about for this episode, the title, What I Thought I Knew, came to me before my ideas about what I actually wanted to say. I knew that I'd be recording this about six months into my sabbatical year in Ghana and that it would be a good time for me to step back and somehow reflect on my experience. But I spent weeks driving myself crazy not being able to figure out what I actually wanted to say on the topic. And then I got sick. As in, at some point, I wasn't even sure how much longer I'd be able to stay in Ghana or whether I'd need to go home and seek medical care which given how much flights and out-of-pocket medical care costs at home, that would have meant the end of the sabbatical, I'm sure. But before I go into that story, let me start off by saying that when I came to Ghana, I had the impression that I would be in serious trouble if I ever did need medical attention in this country. I came here thinking that medical facilities were inadequate, that doctors were poorly trained, and that the medication might be counterfeit. I'm pretty sure that what I heard at the travel clinic wasn't the only reason that I had that impression, but it was definitely part of it. Side note, the first time I ever went to a travel clinic was in 2014 before I went to Cameroon to attend a friend's wedding. My mother was very uncomfortable with the idea of me going, and I thought bringing her to the appointment with me would be the best way to calm her fears. She was mostly scared because of the Ebola outbreak going on at the time, which... Never mind that Cameroon wasn't even close to any of the impacted countries and that the U.S. had more cases of Ebola than Cameroon did, which had no cases. But anyway, I wanted her to hear from a medical professional that I was not in danger. However, by the time the nurse at the travel clinic had talked about all the diseases I was at risk for, the vaccines I should get, how in case of emergency... Kenya would be the closest country where I could go for quality medical treatment. My mother was terrified, and she begged me not to go on that trip. Well, they give pretty much the same spiel for Ghana that they give for Cameroon. Anyway, all of this helped inform, I'm sure, what I was thinking about the state of medicine in Ghana. So here's the story. I had an infection that refused to go away. Now, I was diagnosed and treated for it before I left the States. The symptoms disappeared, Then it was time for me to go to Ghana, so I didn't have time to schedule a follow-up appointment, even when my doctor said that my white blood cell count was higher than it was supposed to be, which is usually a sign of an infection. You know, I had just finished taking antibiotics, so I left the country assuming the best. Then after a while, the symptoms not only came back, but they worsened to the point that I decided to seek treatment here. I went to the doctor and ended up being prescribed the exact same antibiotics that I'd taken in the States. The symptoms still didn't clear up, so I started going back and forth to the hospital trying to get this issue resolved. During one of those trips to the hospital, I passed out while I was waiting for test results. I remember I had been sitting on a bench typing a message to a friend one minute, and then the next minute, both my phone and I were somehow on the floor with the staff from the hospital standing over me. 
when they got me up, I was trembling all over. My hands were going numb. I was freezing. The staff wheeled me to a hospital bed, hooked me up to IVs, and apparently drew blood to run tests, which I hadn't even realized because I was kind of out of it. After a while, the doctor came in and told me I had malaria. They kept me there for 24 hours for that type of treatment, which meant that I stayed overnight. And then I had to take pills for three days. I also took home some new antibiotics because I still had that other infection. I felt tired and achy for a few days after I got out of the hospital, but eventually I was back to normal. And the next time I went to the hospital, my blood levels were back to normal and the infection had cleared up too. So here I am today, not dead, like I thought I might end up being after everything that happened in the hospital that day. And now I'm infection free, all because of medical care that I received right here in Ghana. The doctor knew how to treat me and the medication worked. Now I will say that I initially went to a public hospital because of a recommendation from one of my guys. By the way, did you know that Ghana has a national health service like the UK has a national health service? I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but I am saying that I paid very little money to end up being prescribed the same antibiotics that I had been prescribed in the US. Now, I didn't pay so much in terms of money, but I paid a lot in terms of my time. In fact, because it took so much time to navigate that process at the large public hospital, I ended up going to a smaller private hospital. And that was a very different experience. Like the lines weren't as long, the staff were more attentive everything you'd expect. And of course, I'm in a unique position because I could afford to go to a private hospital, which I'm sure for many people at the hospital where I originally went was, you know, not an option. That aside, my point is that I showed up here in Ghana thinking that I'd just be in serious trouble if I needed medical care in this country. That is one thing I thought I knew. And then I learned that the picture I had in my mind and what I actually experienced were not quite in alignment. Of course, I would have preferred to have not gotten sick, but I can look back now on the experience and be grateful that I had it because I learned a lot. I'm telling you, there is nothing like firsthand experience to open up your mind. For example, prior to my own experience with malaria, I had heard a lot about it. Of course, I've heard about it at the travel clinic anytime that I've been on my way over to this continent. Also, like many of you, I've probably been absorbing ideas about malaria being this scary, deadly disease long before I ever decided to come to the continent because it's so closely tied to media narratives around Africa. And with all of that, I thought I knew about malaria. But the way that I know about malaria now that A, I've had it myself, and B, I've talked to so many people here who've had it is a totally different way of knowing. First of all, I can confidently say that the travel clinic was right. Malaria can be a very dangerous disease. At the same time, I now understand that it's just the reality of life here that people deal with all the time. I remember maybe a month ago, I was going to have lunch with an African-American woman who's been living in Ghana for almost 20 years. She called me and asked if we could meet at her house instead of going to a restaurant because she was recovering from malaria. And in my head, I was like, and I think I said this to her, should we reschedule? <laughs> because in my mind, you know, she must be bedridden or something. Like, this is malaria. She was like, no, it's fine. And sure enough, when I got to her house, she looked fine. Like, if she hadn't told me she had malaria, I wouldn't have had any idea. And Lord willing, I still have six more months in Ghana. So 
How do I acknowledge that malaria is a real threat as long as I'm here? Be reasonably cautious and pay attention to my body, but also not overfixate on or sensationalize this very real aspect of life here. And last note on the medical front, which kind of shows the power of cognitive bias because I didn't even think about this at first when I went to the public hospital to treat my infection. That wasn't even my first time going to see a doctor in Ghana. Actually, about a month or so after I got here, I developed a rash on my face. I tried the homeopathic route, but that did not work. So I had to break down and go and see a dermatologist. So one of my guys took me to what happens to be one of the best skincare facilities in the country. And it happens to be a leprosorium. That's right, leprosorium. Now, I don't need to go into detail about my reaction to pulling into the parking lot and seeing a truck with the words leprosy unit on it, but let's just say I was not very comfortable. Anyway, they took my skin sample, diagnosed me with a skin fungus, I was prescribed some medication, and now I no longer have those blotches all over my face. So to sum it up, the state of medical care in Ghana is one thing I thought I knew about that, as it turns out, I did not quite know like I thought I knew. And in terms of coming here, that's not the only area where my understanding was a lot more limited than I thought it was. Another thing that I thought I knew early on was that issues in Ghana around poverty and inequality were so different from problems at home or in any Western country I've lived in. It just seemed like the problems here were so uniquely tragic and overwhelming compared to home. I definitely went through a phase of spinning out on shock and despair during my first few weeks here. I mean, this is my third time in Ghana, so it's not like I'd never seen what poverty or poor infrastructure and stuff looks like here, but I wasn't used to being out and like seeing it up close in the way that I've, I've had a chance to this time. Anyway, over time, just by being here, seeing people live their lives, and by talking to different people, I started to feel like many of the issues here are just a more extreme version of the issues at home. It's kind of like the same story of everyday people doing the best they can with whatever they have. There are poor people who are struggling to put food on the table. There are people who aren't rich, but can't afford to do more than just survive. You have greedy, self-serving politicians who are like completely disconnected from the issues of normal people. You have big money having big influence on politics. And you have lots of nonprofits or here NGOs trying to fill in the gap in government services. For sure, there are some differences in the way that poverty and inequality look and feel here versus at home. At home, the basic standard of living, even for most working poor people, includes access to indoor plumbing and, for the most part, consistent electricity. Also, kids aren't staying at home from school to work on the farm because their parents can't afford to pay school fees. And it's a lot easier to get a job at home because there are just more jobs. Still, with all that being said, sometimes when people tell me they want to go back to America with me, in my head I'm like, um, maybe we should both try to immigrate to Scandinavia or Switzerland or something because... Allegedly, people in those places are closer to having it all figured out when it comes to caring for a society than either one of our countries. Just kidding? Back to the topic at hand for this episode. Six months into my time in Ghana, I'm really grateful that I could take this time and create this space to reflect on what I thought I knew. And to be clear, my purpose 
is not to beat myself up about the things I didn't know. I mean, I'm human. Sometimes I don't know what I don't know. Sometimes I'm biased or misinformed about people and issues like I've been about this whole medical situation. But thankfully, when I go out into the world and encounter different people and places and experiences, I have the capacity to change my mind about things I thought I knew. And then when I know better, I can do better. This takes me back to a point I raised in episode two. I think too often those of us who are idealistic and who identify with this idea of wanting to change the world can also be the same people who don't get that shaming ourselves or someone else for not knowing something or for having been biased just creates more shame in the world and also more fear because then people are afraid of being called out. We don't see that shaming someone will actually either lead to them usually getting defensive, hiding, shrinking, or shutting down. It usually does not lead people to be inspired to change their minds and hearts even if they change their outward behavior. But when we meet ourselves and others with less shame and with more compassion, empathy, and curiosity, then we can start to get to the heart of the matter. We might even start to ask questions like, where did my ill-informed ideas come from? What harm might I have contributed to out of my ignorance? I think these reflections are kind of a great primer for the interview that I'm gonna be bringing you in the next episode. In fact, I think it was probably a combination of the reading that I was doing in preparation for that interview, along with my own experience, that made me start to think about some of the things I thought I knew, specifically about Africa. So in that episode, I'll be bringing you a conversation with someone I met here at the beach house a few months ago when he was a customer passing through. We happened to start chatting, and from the time I heard his story, I knew that I wanted to have him on the podcast one day. His story touches on the age-old story of an idealistic young British person, or Westerner in general, who has spent their whole lives unconsciously consuming a steady diet of certain colonialism-inspired narratives about Africa, and then decides to go there to make a difference. And then, kind of like me, has to come to terms with what he thought he knew versus what he saw and experienced once he actually came here. Today, Dave uses his personal and professional platforms to push back against dehumanizing narratives about Africans and other people of color from the global south. He also uses his platforms to advocate passionately for an end to orphanage volunteering. And in general, he just creates the space to unpack for himself and others what it means to do good in a way that actually does good. And he does all this with honesty, humility, and sometimes with humor. I'll already drop the link to his blog in the show notes just in case you want to check it out even ahead of the episode. I want to say that this episode with him is going to be like how not to be a white savior part two, but I'm not sure that that does it justice. Be sure to tune in for episode 20 and you'll be able to judge for yourself. Okay, before I close, I want to lift up something else that I thought I knew when I came to Ghana for the sabbatical. And that's how to be on sabbatical. Or maybe more specifically, how I wanted to be on sabbatical. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, I first showed up here thinking my sabbatical would look like me reading through the stack of nonfiction books I brought with me and filling up all the journals that I also stuffed into my suitcase. I was going to be walking by the ocean, having all these profound revelations, kind of isolated from the rest of the world in my little bubble. And then, reality. (laughs) So that's what I showed up consciously thinking. 
But from the time I arrived, my actions actually showed that I really believed that being on sabbatical meant going on self-improvement overload, figuring out what to do with my life after the sabbatical, and using all of my newly found quote-unquote free time to finally work on all of my personal projects and build up my business. Because apparently, after spending so many years in the mode of productivity, achievement, slash constantly trying to prove my value as a student, then as an employee, and also just as a human being, resting or taking a break was not as intuitive as I thought it would be. All of that to say, my reflections six months into my time here, I keep having to let go of what I thought I knew to keep up with what I'm actually learning in real time through experience. And now I want to know about your reflection. How has your experience talking to a new person, going to a new place, or encountering a new situation led you to rethink something you thought you knew in the past few months? As always, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line on Instagram, LinkedIn, or at Janae at GilmoreFacilitationLLC.com. Until next time, peace. Hey, before you go, if you want to, one, keep up with my blog, which I do post on sporadically, two, hear about my latest workshops and events, or three, learn more about my work as a facilitator and a coach, then I invite you to check out my website, www.gilmorefacilitationllc.com, and sign up for my email list. Until next time, remember, you're part of a beautiful community of people who want to change the world.